0: From a Roman imprisonment, the Apostle Paul wrote four letters. One to his good friend Philemon, and then to the churches at Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae. And for 13 weeks, we have studied the letter that he wrote to the Colossians. The last part of the book of Colossi, or the letter to Colossae, Beginning with verse 7, going through verse 18, Paul mentions people with a passion. As I begin to think about people being passionate, many of us are passionate about many things. Sometimes it's what's on our mind that day. But as I begin to enter into a discussion with some of you, some of you want to talk about sports, your favorite team. In fact, some of you who went to Tennessee Tech are probably this morning rejoicing over the win over Texas. Some of you are very interested in your family. If you don't believe people love their family, read their Facebook pages and see their grandchildren. There's a, a thrill with that. Some people are passionate about their career. They will tell you what all they have done in their lives to prepare themselves to do the job they are doing. Quite frequently, if you discuss with someone what's going on in their life, they'll tell you what they did that week, some of the things that were part of their lives. But do you know when you start thinking about the book of Colossians, and you get to chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, and you might think that what Paul is doing is just running down a list of all those people who are, he's thinking about. Much like if we were writing a letter to someone, we'd say, W.C. says hello and Larry says hello. It's much more than that. The truth is the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter. The names that are mentioned there are incredibly important because these people mean a lot to the church. I almost skipped this lesson. I've been working on it for a while, and I thought, well, I'm going to skip it and move on to next week's lesson that I had planned, but as I read it and reread it, I realized there are 10 tremendous teachers here. And we're only going to be able to spend but just maybe a minute on each one of these 10, but how important are their lives. And then when I get to the end of those ten men, I want to try to look and say these are some characteristics of courageous, faithful Christians serving God. Something for you and I to say, I want to aspire to be a Tychicus, somebody very important. Let's begin, if you will. The church is not composed of just one type of people, but we're from various backgrounds with various uh, talents and abilities. Some of you here this morning have the terminal degree. That is, you've, you've gone all the way as far as you can go in education. You've earned a doctorate. Others have gone much less than that, but you have experience in the fields of life. Like, for instance, some of you may be Farmers. Some of you may work in factories. Some of you may work in other areas of life. But you know, that's wonderful. That's good. Because that's what it takes for a church to be well-rounded. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ Christ. For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. We ought to be glad that we have different talents and different abilities and different backgrounds. Because the truth is, is that as we try to expand the borders of the kingdom, sometimes One person over here can be able to reach someone that another person over here cannot, and likewise. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul would write, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. What he's describing is every one of us have a a place. In God's kingdom. As I read about these ten people. I realize. This one did this job. This one did that job. And we're all needed as a part of that kingdom. Let's begin looking now. At these great soldiers of the cross. Brother Marty read to us first of all. About Tychicus. Let's put that verse back on. Our verses on the screen again. And see if we can notice some things. Tychicus. A beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now I learn from Paul that he is the bearer of this letter. That is, he's the one who's going to take it from Paul's imprisonment in Rome to Colossae. And I know he's also going to stop in Ephesus. And the reason why I learned this is because Tychicus is a good man. Now, for many of us, as we're thinking about that, we'll say, well, he just, you know, he's just a letter carrier. But much more than that you know that from Rome to Colossae as a crow flies, is right about a thousand miles. This is not an easy journey. In fact, it's not a as a crow flies journey either. If he is very successful and he comes across the Peloponnese at Corinth and then he goes over, he's going to have to sail around to Philippi. Then he's going to sail to Ephesus, and then he's going to make another hundred mile trip further inland to go to Colossae. I don't know how long it would take him, but that's not an easy journey. Ephesians 6, verse 21 says But that you know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will make known or make all things known to you. But he's been a trusted envoy before. He's the kind of guy that you could say, I need to get a message over there. Well, he's going to take care of it and do it well. 2 Timothy 4, verse 12, he says, and Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Titus 3, verse 12, he talks about, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. Oh, you know that he's a man that you can trust to send a letter. I've got to move on quickly. Onesimus, look at verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. First thing I notice, he is with Tychicus. That tells me that the two are going to be traveling together. And if Tychicus is going to go all the way to Colossae, that means that Onesimus is going to go with him, but... You see, there's something you need to know about Onesimus. He's a runaway slave. His master was Philemon. In fact, that's what the book of Philemon is all about. It's take Onesimus back. Can you imagine he and Tychicus going together and perhaps the conversation, that's going to be going along. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be awkward when I meet Philemon and come back. Now, I just told you that it's a thousand miles from Colossae to Rome as the crow flies. That tells you Onesimus has gone a long way to try to get away from his master. One of the things that amazes me is when he leaves, he knows that Philemon's a Christian. When he ends up in Rome, with whom does he soon find himself? Christians, the influence of Philemon must have been more powerful than sometimes we realize. Paul describes him as a faithful and beloved brother. He's a brother because Paul has begotten him while he's in chains. He tells Philemon in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. So while Onesimus was there in Rome, Paul taught him the truth. Paul converted him to Christ. He's one of you He's likely from the same city or the same region. Number three, Aristarchus. Look at the first part of verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now again, you read this name, and for some of us that's not a commonly known name, but Paul said he's my fellow prisoner. That means he's also held in guard by the Roman government. Did he have to appeal to Caesar as did Paul? Why was he in prison? We don't know. We're not told. But Paul said he's my fellow prisoner. But this is not the first time we've learned about our Starkus. When you're reading Acts 20 in verse 4, it says, Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. I learn he's from Thessalonica. That leads me back to Acts 17 and how Paul arrived there after having left Philippi and the great impact that some of those people had on the truth. But let me tell you where our starkest to me really shines. You remember in Acts 19, Paul has left Thessalonica and he's gone to Corinth and ultimately he ends up in Ephesus in Acts 19. I don't know if you remember, but Paul had been teaching and making it clear that those idols that were made were not real gods. Demetrius, a silversmith, stirred up the people and there was a a riot that took place. The whole town was in an uproar. In Acts 19, verse 28, now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. Now listen carefully. Having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonian Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. You know, here's this thundering crowd of probably 25,000 people screaming to the top of their lungs. Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Paul's wanting to go in to be able to say something. Aristarchus is already there, he's been taken in before them. The latter part of verse 10. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, here he says Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. That explains a whole lot about the book of Acts. You see, he's referred to in the book of Acts by Luke as John Mark. Oh yeah, we know him as Mark simply because of... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's the writer of the gospel account, the second gospel account. Do you know there's something unique about John Mark? When he was young, he evidently lacked maturity. When Paul and Barnabas went on that first missionary journey, they were going to leave Antioch. They were going to sail to the island of Cyprus, which they did, taught the gospel. John Mark was helping them. They leave Cyprus and they go up to the area today, which is Turkey. They go to Pam, uh, Perga and Pamphylia. And when they arrive there, John Mark turns around and goes back home. Acts 13, verse 13. Now, Paul and his party set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. John departed from them returned to Jerusalem. When it came time for the second missionary journey, Barnabas says, okay, let's get John Mark to go with us again. And Paul said, no way. In Acts 15, verses 36 and 39. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back now and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them. John called Mark. Paul insisted they should not take the one with them who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. How bad did it get? Paul and Barnabas separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him. Paul took Silas with him. You see, you learn something here. John Mark was like a lot of younger people. You make some youthful mistakes. You sometimes allow your... Fears to take over. We don't know why John Mark left. Whether he was homesick or whether the work was too hard. But here's what we do know. By the time Paul writes 2 Timothy, he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for ministry. Old John Mark was a good man who had some youthful lack of lacking in his life. Next is justice. Verse 11. And Jesus is called justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Jesus is his name. But you see, the name Jesus is a very common name. In fact, it's also the way that you would translate Joshua. Joshua into Greek. And just like today, you would have a lot of Joshua's or maybe if you're among the Hispanic population, you have a lot of Jesus. It's a very common name, but he's a Jewish man. Paul says he's out of the circumcision. That means he's Jewish and he's teaching Gentiles. Isn't it wonderful that you can have people who will help teach other people of other races and the challenges that face them? And Paul says, he's been a comfort to me. Just an interesting side note, the word comfort is paragoria, from which we get our English word paragoric. For those of you who are old, my age and older, you know what that means. Something when your stomach was in discomfort, you would take paragoric. Epaphras, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God, for I bear witness that he has a great zeal for you, for those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Paul says he's a fellow prisoner. In his letter to Philemon, verse 23, He is one of the teachers of the Colossians. That may explain why Paul didn't choose Epaphras to take the letter. He chose Tychicus. He couldn't send Epaphras. Epaphras is in prison with him. So you've got Paul, you've got Aristarchus, and now you've got Epaphras, all three imprisoned. You learn from Colossians 1, 6 through 8, he's the one who taught them the gospel who preached to them the word. Paul says he's one of you. That means he's likely from the area of Colossae himself. What stands out to me, He prayed fervently for these churches. You know, James 5, 16, Confess your faults to one to another and pray one for another, for the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 14, Luke. Luke, the beloved physician. Now, he's also a traveling companion of Paul. In fact, he was the writer of the gospel account Luke and also the book of Acts. We learn that from what we call the we passages in the book of Acts. Where Luke explains, we went here, we did this. The text calls him a beloved physician. That was his occupation. I can tell you traveling, you like to be able to travel with somebody who has a little bit of of medical knowledge. Whenever we go overseas, I'm always thrilled when Tim is in the crowd. You say, well, does he practice medicine while he's on these tours? Well, our first tour, we had a blind man went with us on a trip. We were in the city of Jerusalem, and the fellow who was with the blind man was leading him down the hall from the restaurant. And on the wall were display cases where they had various items on display. His friend led him right into one of those display cases and he split his forehead open. Tim jumped in immediately, pushed that uh, together there on his head, put some strips on it to be able to uh, stop the bleeding. You see... Wouldn't been great to have Luke with you while you're on these missionary trips? But you see, Luke was not all about being a doctor. That may have been what he would have been passionate about before, but now Luke is passionate about the truth. Just like James and John and Peter and Andrew who had been previously fishermen, now they're fishers of men. Luke had once been a physician of the body, but now he's a physician of the soul. Loyal to Paul to the end, Second Timothy chapter four and verse eleven. Only Luke is with me. Demas, verse fourteen. Demas, greet you. Now, Demas has been a fellow worker with Paul. And Philemon, verse twenty-four, he talks about Mars Aristarchus and Demas, and Luke, my fellow laborers. But you all remember Demas because of Paul's characterization of him. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I can't tell you how many men I've known who've been faithful proclaimers of the gospel that somewhere along the line, something came up in their lives and they decided that that was more important to them than the Lord. And they left. Just like Demas did. Getting near the end of the list, Nymphus, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. This is a Christian man and I put in parentheses a woman because some of the manuscripts have it in the female or feminine form, others in the masculine. And it's about 50-50. So is it a man or a woman? I don't know. My opinion is it's probably a man, but here's what I do know. The church met in their house. You see, they were not like many churches today where congregations meet here in a centralized location. Can you imagine having this crowd at your house today? You see, they hosted a congregation meeting in their homes. Archippus in verse 17 And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. You've got a job, Archippus. He's most likely a Colossian meeting in Philemon's house, according to verse 2. He says, the beloved Athea, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. But he was fulfilled the ministry which God gave him. And according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He says, fulfill your ministry. Now, we've looked at those 10. The second part's not going to take near as long. What I want to do is take, what do you see in all those 10 people that stands out to you? Well, I'd suggest to you there's a lot of admirable traits there. And the first one is, is Paul uses that word beloved a lot. And you can say, well, He's my brother he's my beloved brother. Some of us are harder to love than others. But you know Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. 1 Peter 2 verse 17 says, Love the brotherhood. Second of all, they were faithful ministers. We've misused the word minister a lot. We've made it into a title that refers to a particular person who preaches. Perhaps it's the world that has caused us to do that because, for instance, in politics you may have a foreign minister, a prime minister. You see, in the Lord's church we're all ministers. The word means to serve. And these were faithful servants in the Lord's kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, he says, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And Paul, or excuse me, Luke's record of Jesus is that if a man is faithful in little, he'll be faithful in much. The third thing that I notice about these is their concern for the churches. Some of them had churches meeting in their homes. Some of them prayed fervently for churches. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28, he says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. We not only ought to be prayerful for the brethren that meet here but for our brethren that are everywhere, and he says, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, many as have not seen my face, And all of them provided some sacrificial service. As like Paul would say in Acts 15, talking about those people who had risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul ends with, remember my chains... Remember my limitations. I'm having to write these letters to you, your people of passion. Congregations are not strong because of what they have, but because of who they are. The church at Bobby Branch will be strong if each of us individually are committing ourselves to be what we ought to be. Now, are you ready to be of service to the Lord? If you're not a Christian this morning, we want to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to begin your service to God. You need to believe that He's the Christ, repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized. If you're a Christian and you need to be restored to faithfulness, we'll pray for you. We're going to sing, Bring Christ your broken life, And if you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.